Hi folks, Jack Spirico here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. And today we're rewinding back, not so far this time, February the 18th, 2020, so about two and a half years. If you think about that date, this would have been right about the time we were starting to talk about covid But it hadn't disrupted our lives yet. Fortunately, this episode has nothing to do with that. Uh, I had just gotten back from the Mother Earth News Fair. Uh, I had a great time down there, and that, well, there was, you know, some concerns about the COVIDs, but everybody showed up, and uh, we didn't shut anything down, and nobody died. It was pretty cool. And I got back, and there was some talk going on about guns, and you ain't done a gun show in a while, so I decided to do a show on underrated old-school rifle calibers. So yesterday, shotgun, today, rifles. And I really am the guy that just likes the old classic stuff. Um, like I said yesterday, I like my ARs and all, but I get a lot more excited about an old lever gun or an old single-shot rifle than I do about an AR. An AR does what it does. It does it well. I have one. I'm good. You know, I have a few, and I'm good. You know, a really beautiful little Ruger 77 and 22 Hornet that we'll talk about today, there's something sweet about that. There's something sweet about that gun. It has just this middle-of-the-road capability. It's so much more gun than a 22 long rifle or a 22 Magnum, and it's so much softer shooting as far as noise and things like that than a 223. It's just, and when 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 it was come up with, it was like a space age thing. Nobody had ever seen anything like it before. It's been around a while. We're going to talk today also about the 3030 Winchester. That is probably the one of the top five most famous rifle rounds in the world, right? When you say 3030, you just think cowboys and and things like that, and Again, been around a long, long time. So let's say it's the most famous, but I think 3006 is the, probably the most famous rifle round in the world. Because I'm an old fart. Maybe it's 308 today. Who knows? Um, the 357 Magnum. Hold on, boy. That's a pistol round. It's also a rifle round. I'm going to give you a, a, a whole group of uh, rifles today. It's actually a fantastic rifle round. Uh, I have multiple 357 uh, Magnum rifles. I have one that's a lever gun. Uh, that was given to me by members of this audience at my 10-year anniversary uh, party. Uh, I have a, a, a bolt-action Ruger 77 that, that John Pugliano gave me. I have taken deer, and I have some single shots. I have taken deer with all of them. None of them did anything other than die really, really quick. Uh, longest shot I ever made with a 357 Magnum on deer size game was actually a exotic ram. It was 135 yards, and it dropped like somebody hit it with a stick of dynamite. The 44 Magnum, again, everybody, that's oh, a pistol round. Oh, we'll talk about this today, guys. The 44 Magnum is a, it is a sledgehammer in a rifle. And then the 45 Long Colt, which is a really, especially in the right rifles where you can load it up a bit if you do some hand loading, it is a real knock you down, knock you out round. And then 
the oldest of the bunch. Well, actually, the 45 Colt is the oldest of the bunch. They introduced in 1972. Almost the oldest of the bunch, but certainly uh, one more thought of as a rifle round. Introduced in 1973, the 4570 government. That's the, the rounds we're going to talk about today. And I have a really cool quote of the day. I want to read it and re-talk about it. But since I did it in the original episode, I just left it in there for you by Robert Rourke. And uh, it does kind of sum up where I'm coming from with this. But I look at these old rounds, and I'm going to talk about this in the episode when we start it here in a second. But I look at these rounds, and I think of my, my great-uncles, my grandfather... Uh, all of those old men that I used to hunt with that, that helped me bring me up as a young man, and, and I kind of look at the rounds like the old men. They're just still here in a way, you know. The, most of those men are gone, but their memories are here. These rounds, though, are still here. And when I when I can pick up one of these old guns, and I can think about one of the old men that told me a story about the gun or the round or something like that, it's like they're kind of still around. And maybe I'm just a freaking, you know, uh, just a real guy that's just hooked on nostalgia or something. But to me, there is just a beauty when a thing just does what it's supposed to do and does it every, every time. The other thing, a little backhand and nefarious thing I'm doing with this episode and the one from yesterday, when we get back at it, we'll be doing some episodes before the year ends on reloading. I've been wanting to do that, but stuff's been in such short supply, with especially primers, that I didn't want to cause a problem by telling people, hey, you need to go reload. I can't get no primers, and i got to deal with that. Like, So a lot of stuff's available again now, and I'll tell you, all of these are great for reloading, but the straight-walled uh, pistol, the dual-purpose you know, pistol rifle cartridges, pistol rifle carbine, uh, like the 357 Magnum and 44 Magnum, they're just outstanding. They're just outstanding for reloading. You can load them down into light 38 special or light 44 special loads. You make rounds that are so quiet, you almost think it's a suppressed rifle, and, and it'll it, with the 44 Magnum, it'll penetrate seven inches of solid lumber. I think that'll kill a deer in the head. Pretty good, too, right? Um, and yet you can load them up to, to, to be so much more than they were ever dreamed of being in a handgun. And, and so they're great for that. The 4570 government, if you want to shoot it with any regularity, you almost need to reload because the stuff's so damn expensive. And it doesn't, make no damn ex ex it doesn't make no damn sense that it's so expensive. It's very inexpensive to reload for. And then your 4570, your 45 Colt, your 44 Magnum, your 357, and your 3030, and even your 22 Hornet, if you do a couple of things, are all easy to cast bullets for. So that gets us into this whole world of like, well, what if they don't make it anymore? They put a tax on it. I'll make my own, damn it. Like, so I, I got a bunch going on with this. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of turning into my Uncle Pete here. I'll make my own, damn it. Uh, yeah, anyway, I think that's enough of a new intro for you. Um, really, I hope you enjoy this episode. Even though it's only a two-and-a-half-year-old episode, it really is a walk in the past when you think about, you know, the 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 youngest of these rounds are the 357 Magnum and 44 Magnum. Uh, reduced respectively in 1935 and 1955, 22 Hornet, 1930, the 3030 Winchester, 1895, and we only go back from there with the others. 
and they're still here, and they still still do anything that you could have ever asked of them, like a solid old man. With that, let's roll on back. February fifteenth, twenty twenty. Originally, episode twenty six hundred one. Six underrated old school rifle cartridges. Um, anyway, let's go ahead and get into this. So, I want to start out with a quote of the day. We haven't done that in a while because I've been in and out. Um, this one by Robert Rourke. When I was thinking, I'm going to talk about old guns today, and I thought about what what made you love these old rounds, you know, and 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 some of the even stuff that we look at today is very. Uh, high-end sporting rounds like the 3006 are actually very old, being from 1906. Um, but Robert Rourke. Robert Rourke was a guy, and the way I found him, I read some book. I don't even remember what it was. But I think it was basically, uh, it was it was when I was young in high school, so like 14, 15 at the oldest. And it was a book about hunting, but it was written from a standpoint of an anti-hunter. I can't have, have no idea what this book was called, but it was the standpoint of a very militant anti-hunter who had examined what hunting was really all about and changed his mind and wrote a very high-level, intellectual, compelling reason for moving from one side of that opinion to the other. But this guy didn't even hunt. He didn't want to hunt. He didn't want to kill animals, but he, he understood why those of us that do hunt hunted after he went through this process. And in that book, he made a, a little note about uh, use enough gun from Robert Rourke, and it was the comment that Robert makes in that book about basically, I will never use the 220 Swift on an on a, anything bigger than a groundhog ever again. Again, and I won't get into that quote today because it's not the quote. And that led me to find a copy of Use Enough Gun and read it, and then I read everything Robert Rourke ever wrote that had anything to do with hunting because he wrote about other things too, and. One of his books that really is worth reading is called The Old Man and the Boy. And this quote's from that book. It's long for a quote of the day, um, but it's from that book, and that book is a fantastic read. Now, one thing you should know about The Old Man, you know, you're talking about a guy that lived in the 1800s. Robert was a writer. Robert was in World War II as a submariner um, and did most of his hunting in the 50s in the kind of the golden age of what was left of old-style African hunting. So the old man was his grandfather. That kind of you know puts him back, probably born somewhere in the 1840s. Man been around forever. And he was more of a hunter with shotguns. In fact, Robert Rourke never touched a rifle until he went to Africa. So this is the perspective that man's coming from. This is a guy that hunted quail with dogs. And he's an old southern gentleman type man. Rich, the old man said dreamily is not baying after what you can't have. Rich is having the time to do what you want to do. Rich is a little whiskey to drink and some food to eat and a roof over your head and a fish pole and a boat and a gun and a dollar for a box of shells. Rich is not owing any money to anybody and not spending what you haven't got. Robert Rourke from The Old Man and the Boy. That is an immense piece of wisdom. I read that first when I was about 15 years old. And it fits so much with what my uncles and my grandfathers had taught me that I never questioned for a second its validity. If I was the most devout you know, Bible believer, it might as well have been written in the gospel. And nothing about that has changed. 
And that's one of the reasons I'm doing the show that I'm doing today. I think there is something in the wisdom of what has always worked. And that's where I'm coming at this concept of these, these, these cartridges today. And if you, you know, heard some of the rounds that I mentioned, like the 357 Magnum, the 44 Magnum, 45 Colt, you might be thinking, hey, Jack, you big jerk. I just read that or just heard that. And hey, don't you know these are pistol rounds? Look, it simmer down, partner. You're going to find examples of rifles firing all of them in today's show. And as we'll discuss, they are all in a way different rounds when we fire them from a rifle. Those three anyway. They are entirely different and what they're capable of doing when we put them in a 16 or 18 or 22-inch barrel. And I've been thinking that we have not done a lot of stuff on guns lately. And again, if you're new to firearms or new to ballistics and components, because I find sometimes people that really kind of know guns, like they know how a gun works, they have a gun, they use a gun, they've been through safety training and all, they may not really understand the ins and outs of ballistics and what something like a sectional density is. Or what, what the difference between, you know, uh, practical velocity, uh, muzzle, pr- practical velocity and muzzle velocity is. Practical velocity is not even really a term, but muzzle velocity doesn't really mean that much unless you plan on walking up to animals and pr- pressing the gun against the side of them. You know, two rounds that are similar in the weight of the projectile. Um, and the muzzle velocity could be drastically different at even 50 or 100 yards as they shed velocity based on things like ballistic coefficient. So if you're not familiar with these terms, you may want to listen to yesterday's rewind on all of that stuff, but you won't need to. But you might find that if you you listen to this one, you might go back and listen to that and come listen to this one again. The key here, though, is we have all these new super-duper rounds coming out all the time, like the one I mentioned today, 277 Fury. And part of me instantly goes, hey, I want one of those. And the other part of me goes, yeah, you, you don't really need that. The way that gun magazines and blogs write about all this stuff today, you'd think deer now wear body armor and that our grandfathers were hunting with little cap guns. But I'm here to tell you the boring, the old, straight-bodied rounds are just as deadly as they've always been. They cost very little to reload. They're reliable as they can be. They don't beat you up on the range. Okay, the 4570 can beat you up, but it doesn't have to. We're going to talk about these old rounds today and what they're best for some of the guns that are available for them, and that are still chambered for them when they're as new weapons, reloading for them and more. And I want to say that when we get into the individual calibers, and I you know, give you three to six different platforms that they're available in today in new guns, that doesn't mean these are all of the things that are currently being manufactured that you can go buy that have this cartridge. They're the most common ones, and with one exception, because I thought it was so cool, I wanted you to know about it, they are what I would call affordable. Meaning they're like street prices, like most of them $600 or less. And the ones that are more, they're like, you know, $650, $670. So definitely under $700 bucks for most of them. And if you, if you shop around, you can do better. A lot of them are a couple $300, $400. So they're affordable to, to, to kind of get into. But let's start out a little bit with why do we bother getting into old school rounds when there are so many new ones out there. One is the connection to history. I really think that, it, that there's just something special about it. My cartridge of choice, every time I start, the, I, I've, I've never built what I consider my dream rifle, right? My dream hunting rifle. And I'm almost 50. I don't know if I ever will. And maybe it's because I am so sentimental toward old things. And what I have, all of it works. I have my, my, my crappy old Savage Model 10 in 308 that's killed so many deer. And it's never gone bang 
pointing it at a deer without that deer being dead. It's never had to fire a second shot. And it's very hard for me to think of, well, just because this new special magic rifle shows up, that I'm going to put that old gun away and not hunt with it anymore. You know, I have my little Ruger uh, 77 357 that John Pugliano gave me that I've killed a couple deer with now. And I love that little gun. I don't need the super-duper rounds. I really don't. Um, but when I do think about it, you know, I look at like 6.5 Creedmoor, and I look at all these all these fancy rounds that are available and the advantages that they have. You know what I always think that I'll end up doing if I ever do it? 30.06. Why? It'll kill anything in North America. And it's been around. It's been in all of the world wars. It's been in Vietnam. It's been in Korea. It is the, the father of the 270. It's the father of the 2506. It's the father of the 338.06. It's the father of the 35 Whalen. It's the father of the 280. And it's the grandfather of the 308. And the great grandfather of all the 308's kids, like the 243, the 7mm 08, right? 358 Winchester. It's, it's got so much history. And I think there is something to that. But I also think these rounds all stand on their own in certain ways for what they do really well. Notice I didn't say better, but well. And the things that they do well, they do really well. I look at it like the way I kind of look at turkeys. People think turkeys are stupid because turkeys will get to a fence and they don't know what to do. Well, fences do not occur in the wilderness. There's no reason for a turkey to understand a fence. A fence is a creation of man. Turkeys have to be taught how to eat when you brood them in a box because they don't know how to eat when they're born. Guess what? Neither did you. If a turkey's born to a mama turkey, the mama turkey takes care of that. We don't have to worry about it. So turkeys aren't stupid, and what they know, they know really well. Just ask anybody who's ever hunted them. And I know in some places the population's got so ridiculous with them now that it's, it's, it's pretty easy. But I grew up hunting turkeys in Pennsylvania in the 80s. And let me tell you something. Turkeys are smart. And they know what they know well. These rounds are like that. They do well what they do very well. Um, so let's start out with um, the wisdom that goes along with these old rounds. And that's the wisdom of old men. Old men who were old men when I wasn't an old man yet. Old men that were older than I am now when I was just a kid and now I'm a grandfather. These were World War II veterans. They were my great uncles. They were friends of my great-uncles and friends of my grandfathers and my grandfathers, specifically my grandfather on my dad's side. Their view of a, a deer rifle was, if it kills a deer, it's all you need, so shut up, you don't need a new gun. And when I think back to that group of guys, I remember them hunting with everything from 30-30 Winchesters to 30-06s, Some of them with beat-to-hell old British Enfields and 303 British. Um, 35 Remington was a really big round up there. Uh, but nothing they hunted with, other than a couple guys that hunt, hunted with 270s. Most of them were big fans of another guy I considered for the quota today today, Jack O'Connor. 270s and 30-06s. There were a few of those. But most of them hunted with 30-30, Remington, 303 British. Those were the most common things that they hunted with. And a couple of them had old-school Ruger carbines in 44 Magnum. And none of them ever were like, you know, I wish I had more gun. 
If I would have had a, one of them flat shooting things like you do, Fred, with that 270, I would have been able to shoot that deer. They actually, my uncle Pete, my great uncle Pete, who was a World War II veteran who served in combat in, uh, in, in, in the European theater, mostly in Greece and North Africa, retired, not retired, came back as a staff sergeant out of World War II. And uh, picked up a civilian life. He was the guy who shot a 270. A lot of people, all these older guys mocked him. Like, what are you trying? What are you trying to prove? Like, this is Pennsylvania deer woods. You're not. You're not ever going to need that thing. And he did admit to me um, one of the last times I ever saw him when I moved back to Pennsylvania. He was still holding on. He was almost 100 years old. And he said, "You know, I don't think I ever shot a deer over 50 yards, but I sure liked that old gun." So even those guys that had a little bit more range, they had an understanding, like they had they had it because they wanted it. And I also want to kind of talk about what is a long range round anyway? The the thirty thirty Winchester, if you can't shoot a deer at two hundred yards with a thirty thirty Winchester, you can't shoot a deer at two hundred yards with a three oh eight. Now if we start pushing three hundred yards, three oh eight has a clear advantage. And the 308 has an advantage at 200 yards, but it will not compensate for your inability to execute a shot of that length. And I find that most hunters don't have the marksmanship to be shooting past 200. In fact, I would say most, if most is 51%, and most is 51%, that's definition of majority, um, probably have no business shooting 200 yards. Many of them are questionable at 100. I'm not. You might not be, but I think most of us who have friends that hunt know that 100 yards is kind of the outer limit for many people because they don't spend a lot of time practicing their craft. So being able to take game at 200 yards, you know, as a bow hunter, because I also bow hunt, it's like that's pretty long range to me. And, you know, it takes a little bit of effort, but you can take game at that range with a 4570 as well. So two of the rounds that we're going to talk about today are easily 200-yard rounds. Uh, the rest of them, the 22-horned, 250-yard round on appropriate game, not deer. And we're going to talk about that today. But the 357, the 44, and the 45 long Colt in a rifle are easy 100 yards. I've shot multiple deer with 357 Magnum in 100 to 120-yard range. And all they all did was die. So to me, these all are long range. They're just not the long range we think of today with people wanting to shoot 500 meters or whatever. Um, there's also something about all of these that's kind of really cool. They're great rounds for shooting cast lead bullets. So let's talk a little bit about why we'd want to do that. Number one, it works. It kills the hell out of things. And I know we've all been taught to believe that that pretty mushroomed out slug that we see on the cover of a magazine, the back panel of a magazine today, we need that or it'll just pencil through the deer and it'll go play like canasta or something with its deer friends and we'll never find it and it'll just live a long happy life with a hole through both lungs. That's not how that works. And I would say if you don't think that, if you think that you need to have a great big mushroom to make a dead animal when you have a slug the size of your thumb, Have you seen many bison lately? We call them buffalo, but they're really bison. Well, the round that made all the bison go away was the 4570 in the Sharps, uh, Sharps rifle format. That's one at a time. Dead buffalo. Dead buffalo. Many times shot at hundreds of yards by these guys that did nothing but shoot buffalo all day. I'm not advocating that. I'm just saying you can't argue with the fact that it works. That's a big animal. Lead penetrates. And 
the case for it is that it's inexpensive and it's another skill set you can acquire very, very easily. And you have a lot of flexibility. You can make lead very soft or you can make the lead very hard. You can even make lead very much an expanding round, kind of like a nozzle or partition. And the way that you do that is you use two different leads, one with more block tin than you want pure lead and one with some block tin in it. And you make a hard cast lead and a soft lead. And you make a little dipper for measurement so you know how much of the round is the soft lead. And you drop the soft lead into your bullet mold first. And you right on top of it, you drop the hard lead. And that round fuses together. And you get a soft-nosed, hard-cast rear bullet. And the beauty is that bullet will fly the same as cheap, soft-cast lead. So you can practice with those. And you know, how much hunting do you really, how many hunting rounds do you really need? You know, how many big game animals do you take a year? So there's another case worth there. Um, it also, these, ra these rounds, it all works really well with. Because they're all moderate velocity with the gas checking, push them to their limits, including the 3030 and 22 Hornet. But the place the cast lead works the best, let's be honest, 44 mag, 45 long Colt, 4570, 357 mag. All of those rounds are, it's amazing what you can do with cast lead. So that was a part of why I selected them today. Um, They're all also great for reloading. The, there's just immense amounts of reloading on them. They all have the potential to be reloaded up and down, and I guess that's true with, with any round, but these seem to really excel at it. We can reload a 22 Hornet at pressures where it's coming in at 22 mag territory, 22 magnum territory, without any compromising of its ballistics. Very, very quiet round like that. And still a good 150-yard round. And we can push it to its maximum level with something like Hodgson 110 powder. And we'll never catch up to like a 222-223. But we go about halfway between the 22 uh, Magnum and the 223. And it's plenty for 200 yards, and it's a lot quieter than the 223. So it has kind of this great range for the reloader. In fact, we can reload it down to almost 22 long rifle velocities where it's actually quieter than the 22 long rifle. If we look at something like the 30-30, we have the ability to load that at levels that are still damn lethal on a deer, that you're not going to have much difference in, in uh, your impact out to 100 yards. Maybe you'll start to have a, a, a quicker drop in your trajectory past 100 yards. But what a great round for kids to learn to hunt with, especially in states like Texas, to let young people hunt you know, before they're even 12 years old. I'm not sure what the minimum age for hunting in Texas is. I think it's like 8 or 10. So many people fall to the 223 for those kids, and it, it can be a good deer round. But if you're keeping that kid up close range, which we should be doing at that age, for God's sakes, the 30-30 loaded to a moderate load is a better deer round. So it has that ability to move up and down. We can even use things like uh, accelerator sabos in the 3030 and shoot 22s out of it at speeds that exceed the 223. So it has all this flexibility as a reloader. 357 Magnum, we can load it down to the lowest 38 special loads, it's a pop gun, and to the highest sledgehammer 357 Magnum loads. Everything I just said, 44 Magnum, same thing. Down to the lowest 44 special loads, it's a giant pellet gun is what it sounds like. It's damn lethal. Um, I have a load for the 44 Magnum, actually a 44 Special Load, um, that a 300 hard cast lead bullet, you can hear the hammer fall on the gun over the report. No silencer, no suppressor, none of that. Just, it's not that loud. 
because it's subsonic and it's using so little powder. But it'll still penetrate at 25 yards two uh, pieces of 4x4 pressure-treated lumber. That's enough to kill any deer. That's better than the muzzle loaders that have killed thousands of deer for, for hundreds of years, right? Um, 357 Magnum, we can do all that. With 45 Colt, when I talk about them individually, the 44 Magnum and the 45 Long Colt have a lot of similarities in their ballistics. You can actually push the Colt in the right guns to higher level performances. I mean, you're talking to damn near the level of 454 Casal. It's just can the gun handle the pressure that you're firing it in. But we can also load it way back. And we can get rounds. When we talk 357, 44 mag, 45 Colt, off the shelf that are light or heavy, just by going to come to your lighter 45 Colt that's for all guns, or we can go to a place like Double Tap Ammo and buy the really heavy ones. And then with the 357 and 44, we just buy 38 specials or 44 specials if we want lighter load. So we don't have to reload. The 4570 is something that I think almost compels you to reload. First of all, the ammunition is stupid expensive, and reloading it is stupid cheap. It's ridiculous how much 4570 ammo is. And I think it's just because they don't sell that much. But in all the modern guns, we can load very heavy sledgehammer loads. In a few things like the Ruger number one, we can if you want to beat yourself up, you can load that to only a couple hundred feet per second off 458 Win Mag. I don't recommend that. But we can go just a little bit down for there, and all of the really... Uh, modern weapons can fire rounds that you know are, are pushing a 300 grain bullet at like 1,900 feet per second. And if you can't kill something with that, you probably shouldn't be shooting at it. I mean, if it doesn't say Saurus in the name, you're probably going to be okay. So they all give us this kind of really great entry level into reloading. And I'm not saying today you should use any of these rounds. It's up to you. And I'm definitely not saying you should get into all of them. But I am saying if you pick one, And you see it as something to really dial in. There's a lot of work to be done with reloading, with shooting, with different rounds, to really get a lot of joy out of it and develop as a rifleman with it. Because one thing I'll say about all these, they are limiting compared to their modern counterparts. If we look at a 22 Hornet and say a modern counterpart is something like a 204, 204 Ruger or a 223 or a 22250, it's limiting. Limiting makes you better. That's why they have restrictor plates in racing, right? Uh, the 3030, you would, I'd say a modern counter, counterpoint to the 3030 would be a 308 Winchester. So it's limiting, but it makes you better. The 357 Magnum, the 44 Magnum, 45 Colt, we're putting pistol rounds into carbines and rifles. That in of itself is limiting. Um, any of the 35, that old 35 Remington has an advantage over the 357 Magnum. 444 Marlin has an advantage over the 44 Magnum. About every, you know, everything that's 45 caliber that's made for a rifle has an advantage over the Colt. And the 4570 is kind of, it is what it is. It's this old war horse from 1873. So, one thing that's really making this also worth looking at, and it's opening up a whole new level Of, of rifles, especially single-shot rifles, come on the market, is that some new hunting regulations for what used to be black powder season is now being renamed primitive weapons or something similar to that. And the direct reason for it is there's just not enough people hunting anymore. And I know in some states you might feel like, that's not a thing, dude. There's too many people hunting. 
there are a lot of yard birds walking around the woods with guns, smoking cigarettes, chewing gum, and bullshitting, and scaring the deer away. But when I say hunters, I mean people that reasonably go out and kill deer. And there's less of everybody. Because those old men and, their, and, and our fathers are, are passing or getting too old to hunt. So there are just less hunters. But there's not enough deer being killed in a lot of these states. So a lot of the states have done things like they've opened archery to crossbows just to get more people to participate. Well, the other thing they've done is they've taken their black powder season and then they've gone to primitive weapons. And you've got to check your own regulations. I'm not telling you that anything is true for you. I don't know what's true for you. But in many states, that now includes basically any single-shot rifle with a straight-wall cartridge that was available prior to some date they picked randomly for primitive. So that might not include a .44 Magnum, but it might include a .45 Colt, which has all... I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but it's how they justified their terminology. Which means, you know, things like the .45-70 and .45 Long Colt are starting to have more and more of these single-shot rifles come out because now there are people that are interested in getting one because it lets them go out and hunt in a time of the year that they otherwise wouldn't be able to hunt or they would have to use a muzzleloader that they don't want to use. I don't think any of them allow for the 30-30, and I think that's why you'll see there's less single-shot options uh, in, in that particular platform. Um, some of them may allow things like the 357 Magnum, 44 Magnum. I don't know. It's, it's state by state. But that has kind of hit, hit a whole new resurgence in single shots. And it's great because any FH&R that makes the handy rifle, they still make them, but they cut back on a lot of calibers. And I just don't think they were selling like they did when they were kind of at their cult peak in the, in the 90s. And they got rid of their barrel program. And we kind of went back for a little while there with certain exceptions of the few rounds that NEF still makes. Um, anything single shot was stupid expensive. They're like German-made guns or something like that. And they're like $2,000 for a single shot 3030. just makes no sense. But now that there is this new call, we're having this resurgence in the single-shot market, and, and I like it for these rounds, because what's more old-school than a single-shot break-action or rolling-block 30-30 Winchester or 45-70 or 45 Colt? There's not a lot of things that's more old-school than that. Um, next, many of these, I would say three of these, can be fired in shotguns with gun adapters, but... We're going to have to dial back the 38 and the 44, at least by the manufacturer specifications, to the, uh, to gun, with gun adapters. So that's just an interesting thing in of itself. You could have some old, you know, 20 gauge single shot from Sears and Roebuck. And you can get a gun adapter with an 8 inch rifled adapter in it, drop that sucker in there and fire 45 Colt or 38 Special or 44 Special out of it. Just want to throw that in there. Remember, um, gun adapters, uh, does do a discount for MSB. There's a link in the show notes today for their website. All right. So let's start talking about some of these individual rounds. Now we've burned up like half the show, uh, more than half probably. 22 Hornet. 22 Hornet was introduced in 1930. There are still, to my knowledge, like I said, I think almost every one of these, I'm going to give you some platforms for them, and there's more than what I'm going to give you. As far as I know, if you want to buy a gun made this year, that you can still buy, you know, manufactured, brand new gun, there's only three options that I know of for the 22 Hornet. But they're really good ones. The Ruger 7722 
And I'm, I'm thinking about buying a Ruger 7744 and 7722 just so I have all of them because I have the 357 I love so flipping much. But then I know I'm going to end up buying a Boyd's gun stock for all of them and a scope for all of them. But the, the 7722 is going to happen. I've always wanted a 22 Hornet. I'm going to definitely do that one probably this year, probably instead of buying my new Super Duper Deer Rifle. The 22 Hornet is this amazing little round that was so innovative at the time that it came out. All of a sudden, you could go out in a field, and a ground talk could be 200 yards away, tearing up your field, and you could whistle to him, and he would stick his head up, and you went, and he was dead. And that just wasn't something that was that easy to do with everything else that was around. Unless you were playing around with some of the, the wildcats, early wildcats, and most farmers and most country boys just didn't have the money or the time to be dealing with that. All of a sudden, this thing was something you could go down and just buy a box of shells for and go out and shoot it. And it was quiet. Now, it was loud relative to true quiet, but it was quiet compared to that deer rifle. Way quiet. And it was accurate. And guess what? It still is. It is one of the most accurate little rounds And part of why it's such an accurate little round is it's relatively low pressure, and that leads to consistency with the oscillation of a barrel. Right? So the higher the pressure, the more that gun has to be built right to, to, to not have variations in how that barrel oscillates, which is how that barrel moves while it's being fired. Um, shot to shot to shot. And it just it doesn't do much at all. So that's why a lot of the single shots that used to be made in it, like the NEF, that when you moved into like 3006 and up, you had to kind of fool with them with some different tricks, kind of floating a forearm or something like that to get them really, really accurate. Where the 22 Hornets in them, they just drilled. And when you get something like a Ruger 77 or a Savage with the AccuTrigger or CZUSA, which are the three that you can get now, they're just pinpoint out to 200 yards. Um, I had a friend in one of the old NEF uh, groups we used to have online before the days of Facebook and all like that through Yahoo groups that had videos of shooting red wasps at 200 yards with his 22 Hornet. That's, that's, that's pretty damn impressive. But the weapon was capable of it. Uh, so, again, the platform's on a 7722 uh, from Ruger, which is a bolt-action, magazine-fed uh, rifle. The Savage Model 25, specifically the lightweight varmint version of it, Beautiful little gun, and the CZ USA 527, which is also a bolt action. So all of those are bolts. They're all beautiful. One of the great things about the Ruger, I'm sorry, about the, uh, the 22 Hornet is it is one of the easiest rounds to modify a weapon for. Modified into what's called the K Hornet. What the K Hornet does is we just kind of move, the, so it is a bottlenecked cartridge, meaning the, the, the case is a little bit bigger than the bullet. And it comes down and it has a tapered bottleneck. And what we can actually do is ream out the chamber of the 22 Hornet so that, that those shoulders go forward. And it puts just a little bit more space where we can put just a little bit more powdering and push another 100 feet per second out of it. Now, we talked about limiting and all today. That's You know what? That 100 feet per second doesn't buy you that much in trajectory. It doesn't. You know what it does, though? It makes the case last longer. And it's a great first project as a home gunsmith. It's a cheap project to have done by a gunsmith. And guess what? You don't have to worry about the fact that you've changed that chamber at all. You can still go down to the store and buy a round of shells and fire it, and they will fire just fine out of there. 
and they will fire for them. In fact, that's how you make your K-Hornet cases. You fire non-K-Hornets. They will fire for them to that new dimension of the chamber. Nothing bad will happen. They'll even be accurate. They won't be as accurate as they are when they're reloaded in their, K, their new K-Hornet and you next size only, but they will be damn accurate. And then you have a better, longer lasting, and you have something special. And I want you to remember that it's something special because we're going to talk about that at the end. So let's move on to the 3030. 3030's been with us since 1895. It, when people think of the Old West, they tend to actually be thinking about like the 1870s and 80s. That's the time they're actually thinking of. But they're also, when they think of cowboys and rough riders, they're thinking about lever action rifles, which most of those were probably actually 4440s or 45 uh, Colts. That, that's mostly what they probably were. But in our heads, it's the 3030. And that's because we all know an old man that hunted deer of the 3030. And he was probably really good at what he did. The old man I knew that did that was a guy named Bob Steffen. He wasn't related to the family, but he might as well have been. The Steffens and the Spiracos were close, very, very close. And he lived across the street from me. Uh, my uncle purchased um, the house that they lived in from his widow uh, over 20 years ago, almost 30 years ago now. And so that's, that's how long and how far back and how close the families were. And Bob had a philosophy When he walked, he, he would come over to our property to shoot his gun. And if he stood at a certain spot on our property and there was a hill behind us, and about the furthest shot you could get on that hill was 75 yards. So since that was as far as he could shoot, that's how he tested his rifle. So he'd come over, pop his head in, make sure we knew, make sure nobody was down the back. He'd walk all the way around the hill. He'd set up a pie tin. He'd come back. He'd lean against the wall of our house, between our house and our shed, like I used to do all the time when I was shooting. He'd fire one shot, iron sighted 3030 Winchester, bang. And he'd look, go, I think I'd hit. He'd walk over there, pick up that pipe, pipe plant, he'd come back, and he'd always say the same thing if I was there when he looked at me. That'll do. If you can hit that, you can hit a deer. Didn't matter where on the pan it hit, he fired that one shot a year to make sure it was, it was shooting straight, and usually first day of the season he had his deer. So I think that we have in our minds, like, okay, the lever action of the Old West and the old man with the 30-30, and if he was a guy like Bob Steff, and it just seems like this is the gun that won the West. It wasn't. But it has been around a long time, and it was something that cow cowboys and Old West guys used to use. And let me tell you something. We talked about what is a long-range rifle. Well, in 1880, 1895, when you were out in the western United States, And you had a rifle that was compact, that would slide into the scabbard on the side of a horse that you could pick up, didn't kick that hard, and you could knock a deer down with it at 200 yards. It might as well have been a short magnum of the day, right? I mean, it was, it was a bigger leap over, there were some rounds that could shoot that far. We weren't that far out of the world of going to Splitzer Bullets and the 3006, which started out as a 3003, and Seven Mauser had already cut our troops down in, in, in the Spanish-American War. So that stuff was coming. But what the average guy had was a 45 Colt or a 4440 or something like that. And all of a sudden, the whole world opened up to you as, as a long-range Uh, round. That's that's how it was seen when it came out. What is it available in today? You might imagine lever guns. 
the Henry lever guns, lots of varieties. Um, the Marlin lever guns. Marlin, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the Mossberg has a 464 lever action, really affordable. So it's available in those. But in single shots, Henry has a single shot that it's available in. Um, the Ruger number one is available in 3030. I, I, I found that kind of surprising to me. And one of the few rounds that H&R NEF still makes the handy rifle in is 3030 Winchester. So it's got a, a tremendous uh, number of opportunities there in both lever action and in single shot. The, the interesting thing is if we go to single shot, we can fire Spitzer bullets out of that thing, and it, it, it all of a sudden turns into a 250-yard round. And I know they have the lever lution and the soft tips and all now that you can either you know buy or hand load, but if you are going to use a single shot, there's no reason to spend lots of money on them special bullets. You can just simply load 150-grain you know, nozzler partition, for instance. And people say, oh, they're not, the muzzle velocity is not fast enough for those to expand. That same person will tell you that that, that round is just fine in the 308 out to 400 yards. Now, I'm just going to say look at a ballistics chart and think about shooting 200 yards or less, and then you can figure out why this hole, you can't use that round with that round, is, is or that bullet with that round is just nonsense. So now we have this ability to extend range. We can still do our, our downloading. We can, we can get rounds off the shelf. We can do some really great things with hard cast lead, and we've got that connection to that old school. Let's move on to something a lot younger. Not that much younger, but a lot younger compared to 1895. How about 1935? The 357 Magnum. The 357 Magnum wasn't invented by Elmer Keith, but it damn near was. Uh, Elmer Keith was a big, slow bullet guy, but he also knew too slow was not good enough. And he started uh, doing things with heavy frame 38 specials, pushing that load to the maximum. And it eventually became something that commercially caught on. And in 1935, the 357 Magnum was introduced. Today we see it as a handgun round. And today we see it as kind of anemic in the world of hunting, specifically even in handgun. I mean, handgun hunting. Are you kidding me? It's, hi, yeah, 454 consoles, the bottom line. If you're going to be out there shooting a deer, a damn deer, and you shoot him with a 357 Magnum, he'll just, you know, put his tail up, take a turd at you, and, and, and walk away and brush it off. You know, that's the way people act. Let me tell you something. When the 357 Magnum came out, it caught on like wildfire because it worked. And we're going to talk about the 44 next, the 44 Magnum. It didn't come out for another 20 years. For that 20-year period, if you were a North American big-game handgun hunter, you were crazy if you got anything but a 357 Magnum. And it does have its limits. But let me tell you what, a lot of elk were killed with 357 Magnum. A lot of bear were killed with 357 Magnum. And a hell of a lot of deer and antelope were killed with a 357 Magnum. A lot of hunting in Africa was done by early pioneer hunters, uh, handgun hunters, with the 357 Magnum. And when we put that sucker in a carbine, even not even a 22-inch barrel like some of the stuff that's out there, but it's the 16-inch carbine, and we do two things when we do that. Number one, we're not firing from a revolver. So we don't have that distance between the cylinder and the forcing cone where you get that discharge, and we don't because we have a closed breech. Instead of having that open breach. You know, when you look at a revolver, you have that cylinder gap. We don't have that. So that right there gives us more efficiency and more power. 
And then when that gets pushed down a 16-inch barrel, it's, I don't remember exactly, and I didn't look it up for this episode, but I believe it's something like 350 foot-pounds of energy gain. Don't worry about the velocity gain. Worry about the energy gain. That's significant. I do remember this that is absolutely the case. The 357 Magnum out of a rifle is more powerful than a 357 Maximum. A 357 Magnum fired from a rifle has more energy at 100 yards on impact than the 357 Magnum does from a 4-inch revolver at the muzzle. It's adding a hundred yards of energy, not necessarily trajectory, but of energy. I found it to be flat as a pancake to a hundred yards, and then it begins to drop relatively quickly, and it begins to shed velocity and energy relatively quickly. And the only Spitzer bullet I've ever tried in my Ruger and in my lever actions is the Leverolution stuff from Hornady, and neither one of them have liked it. Uh, the lever gun actually, I have two different lever guns in 357, and both of them shoot it okay. The Ruger hates it. The, the bolt action just, it just hates it. It like, it makes a weird sound too. I, I don't know what it is about it. But the cheap old, like, uh, you know, XTPs and stuff, that just drills out to about 120 yards. Now I've shot with the Ruger 77 and 357 Magnum. We shot at a hay bale, me and my buddy David one time. I thought it was about 220-something yards. And it was pretty windy. And it took about two or three shots to figure out where I was hitting. But once we did, he was spotting for me. He walked me in. And then once I knew where to hold, I dropped about a two-and-a-half-inch group at over 200 yards with it. I would never take that shot at a living creature. But it does show the capability is more than we would think. I mean, I was holding, I think, like almost four feet high. And because of the wind drift, like three feet left. But again, once once we had it dialed in, it was there. At 100 yards, it is ridiculously accurate. And it is ridiculous how easy it is to shoot because it's such a mild recalling round. Now, here's what I have for you on available platform, and there's probably more. But on lever guns, your big three are Marlin, Henry, and Rossi. And again, all these things are in the 600 or less range. Some of them may creep a little bit up depending on options. But I, you know, there's like, you know, Petersoli and stuff like that, Cimarron or whoever, whatever the hell it's called, that make these like antique replicas and they're thousand plus dollar guns. So they're out there. I just didn't include them today. Henry now makes a single shot in 357 Magnum and I have to believe the reason for that. I've got to believe the reason for that is these new uh, hunting regulations. So there must be some places that consider the 357 Magnum okay for their primitive weapons. Or maybe they consider 38 Special and they don't mind if you've hand-loaded it. I, I don't know. Uh, to like a plus P velocity. Because let me tell you that if you take a 38 Special... Uh, especially like a plus P, which means the kind of design for you know heavier frame guns, and you put a 158 grain uh, solid uh, nose bullet in there, expanding you know semi-jacketed uh, flat point, and you shoot it out of like a 22 inch barreled single shot, it has got more muzzle velocity than a 357 out of your four inch revolver. So if that's what op- I don't know what opened it. But I'm telling you that I think it has something to do with these primitive weapons because I've 
I've, I've not seen a lot of 357 single shots other than the NEFs, which they don't make anymore. Uh, I will also say, though, that a single shot, 357 Magnum, would be really easy to ream out to a 357 Maximum. Here's what reaming means, because I don't think I covered it yesterday. Reaming means that we actually take a metal cutting tool and we change the chamber in the weapon. We change that. This, when we do it with a rimmed cartridge, these are all of the cartridges today are rimmed. That means they headspace off the rim. So you've got the, the head of the cartridge has a rim that's, that's got a larger diameter than the cartridge itself. If we do that in a single shot, There's nothing else that needs to be done. There's no head spacing to mess with. Like anybody can do it. You take the reamer, you ream it out. Now you have a 357 maximum. Great. Now I have a, a special Wildcat. No. Now you have a single shot that will shoot 357 magnum, 357 maximum, and 38 specials. I'm just saying. That's, it's a pretty cool thing and it's kind of special, but we can still go buy a box of shells at the sporting goods store and shoot. No problem. Uh, next up is the Ruger 77-357. It is one of the sweetest little guns I ever have, one of the most cherished gifts I've ever been given. I went and put a Boyd's gun stock on it, and it is just an amazing little gun, and I really recommend you look at it. With the Marlin lever guns that I own, one of them is an old one. And I need to tell this story because I just want to thank, again, the people that gave it to me. It's another one of those gifts that I just... I, I will never part with, and it will someday belong to my grandson. Uh, I told a story many times on the air about one day when I was looking for a rifle for my son for deer season. We were in a little hardware shop in Pennsylvania that had a bunch of guns for being a hardware shop. And they had an old, beat-up 357 Magnum. It looked like it was like a 60s-era uh, Marlin lever gun. And it was... This was at the time they had changed lever guns to where they have that stupid cross-bolt safety now instead of using a, a half-cock safety or just, you know, no round in the chamber as a safety the way traditional lever guns did. And I looked at it, and I had decided that really wasn't where I wanted to start my son, and I thought about buying it just to have it. And it was cheap. It was like 250 bucks. Now, this is a while ago, but it was a deal even for then. And I had, I had the money. It wasn't even a thing. I walked out of that place, and I regretted the decision when we got home. And this was like we were far away from home. We, just had, we were like two hours from home where this place was. And I regretted the decision. And about two weeks later, I thought, I'll even drive back up there. I called a guy, and he had sold it. And I never found another one like that at that price, you know, where I felt compelled to buy it ever again. And for my 10-year anniversary for the show, uh, a bunch of listeners went in and bought me one. And it's, it's, it's pretty much the same gun. I think I actually looked it up, and it's a 1968 by the serial number Circa on the gun. So I just, and I want to kind of, again, that's kind of special, and I want you to think about that as we're going through the show today. Next up, the 44 Magnum. I'm going to cover, for you know, time's sake, the 44 Magnum and the 45 Long Colt together. As handgun rounds, as they were intended to be um, used when they were released, they are night and day different. The 45 Colt was introduced in 1872. We didn't even have the manufacturing in place that would, that would have made it practical anyway to manufacture a revolver that was designed to handle the pressures uh, and the way that the gun gets beat up by the 44 Magnum. So they, as designed, 
They are just divorced from each other. In modern firearms, with either custom loads, hand loads, or some of the heavy loads that are only to be used in modern firearms, they're very close ballistically. The reality is the 45 long Colt is a more powerful round loaded to its full potential in the right weapon than the 44 Magnum. The first time I ever fired a 45 Colt where it was like really heated up, I believe it was either Buffalo Bore or Double Tap or something like that. Was It was one of those type of manufacturers. They weren't hand loads. But it was in a, I think it was a Ruger single six. And I was at a gun range and I was shooting a bunch of my different stuff and a guy had this gun. And he said, you want to shoot it? I'm like, yeah. And when I fired it, it was a lot. My uncle had a Ruger Red Hawk in 44 Mag. It was a very, very similar experience. I had never fired a 45 Colt that had that kind of thump to it. And it was a damn accurate gun, too. I mean, we were shooting, I think, 50 yards and, you know, been no problem knocking a deer down offhand with it. And so that's why I'm kind of pushing them together. When we put them into a rifle, again, we end up in modern weapons with loaded to their potential, very, very similar rounds. They don't give you that much of a range advantage on the 357 trajectory-wise. You get a little less wind drift. You can push that a little bit more, but they do become quite rainbow-like past 100 yards. I have no doubt there are people that could confidently go out with a 44 Magnum carbine and shoot a deer at 200 yards. I'm not going to do it. If I need to shoot that far, I will shoot something that's more intended for it. But out to 100 yards, they are sledgehammer versions of the 357. Very accurate and very flat out to that range out of a rifle barrel. In the 44 Magnum, you've got Marlin and Henry lever guns. You've got the Ruger 357. I'm sorry, the Ruger 7744, uh, which is basically the, the, the gun that I have in 357. Beautiful little gun. Beautiful little gun. And the 44 is one of the best, best deer rounds for woods hunters. You put a 44 in a deer and you have a dead deer. 240 grain flat point in the lungs, dead deer all day long. I don't like either of these loaded hot in hollow points out of a rifle because they can tend to overexpand. And what I'm looking for in heavy, relatively slow to moderate velocity rounds is penetration. That's what they're really great at, so let's not take that away from them. We also have in the 44 mag, and this is why I think that maybe... The 44 mag is okay in some of these primitive weapons areas. Or maybe the 44 special is. And if you load your 44 special a little bit hot, but it says 44 special on the case, then no one really cares. And the gun manufacturers know this. And why not make it shoot 44 Magnum anyway? Uh, but the CVA Scout uh, Hunter, the CVA Scout and the CVA Hunter are both single shots available in the 44 Magnum. Very, very affordable too. And then. I, I'm really glad I did this show because I learned about uh, a gun that's being made in quite a few calibers, two of the calibers we're talking about today, and some other things like the uh, 35 Whalen is the Traditions Outfitter G2. Single shot, it's about 400 bucks street price. Um, i got to believe, again, this thing is on the market because of these primitive weapon seasons in 44 Magnum. It is really a slick gun. I'm going to save my thoughts on it for the 4570, though, because I think that is the version where it really excels. In 45 Long Colt, we're back on lever guns. Marlin, Henry, uh, definitely uh, worth checking out. Um, I think Winchester also leave, makes lever guns in 45 Long Colt. Winchester makes probably lever guns for everything. 
but there's also a gun called the Rossi Circuit Judge. And if you've never, this is a carbine revolver. So you've got a, you know, a revolver cylinder, a gun that has kind of a, it looks almost like a pistol turned into a rifle, but it really is a dedicated rifle built as a rifle. And it's just cool. It's, it's definitely something that if you had and you left it to an air, that they would cherish, and it would be a very interesting gun for you know someone 50 years from now to say, this is my granddaddy's. It, it really would. And they're, they're well thought of, they're well built, and they're not that expensive. There's one I, all of these are guns that are currently available. This is one that breaks that rule because I think it's a very interesting gun that seemed to have some feeding problems, and it went away because of them, is the Taurus Thunderbolt. It was a pump-action forty-five Colt. And there were people that loved them, and there were people that hated them. And it seemed like there was enough people that hated them that they got enough, enough bad scuttlebutt. And that was one reason that Taurus ceased manufacturing them. If you think about the length of a .45 long Colt, it's not very long, so it's a quick throw on a pump. From my research, if you get one that feeds poorly, and you are anything approaching you know, handy at doing some basic gunsmithing work, and you clean up the feed and the action a little bit, you can make it feed like butter. And if you can't, some gunsmith somewhere can do it for you. And so I definitely think that would be worth looking at. Because they have this bad reputation, they tend to sell now for less than they did when they were new. I don't know how long that will last. Then uh, NEF still makes 45 long Colt. They make it what's called the Survivor, which is a compact, break-action, single-shot, thumbhole stock, designed to store some things. And it fires 45 long Colt and 410 shot shells. So that's worth taking a look at. Now here's the one that breaks my rule. I tried to stay, you know, any rifle that was over a thousand bucks didn't get on the list today. I wanted this to be mid-priced to low-priced guns that also were quality and unique and would last a long time for you. But Taylor and Company makes what's called the 1892 Alaskan takedown lever action. It's about 1100 bucks. But it is designed for the sledgehammer 45 Colt loads. And I know you might say, why not just step into like, you know, a 450 Marlin or a 4570 or a 444 or something like that? Because it's cool. And because it's everything you ever would need it to be. And because the 45 Colt pushed to its maximum isn't that far off the way most people shoot the 4570 that we're about to cover next. That's why. And it's cool. And you can fit more rounds in it. And if you're going to a place where big giant bears might eat you, you know, having a few less feet per second, but like four more rounds might be something that you want to do. Or if you want to go out and shoot it a lot and you enjoy shooting lever action rifles, having more rounds might be something that you want to do. So that one would be worth checking out as well. Now, since we're talking about sledgehammers and big bores for this last couple, Let's move into the round that I just don't ever see going away. I don't think the enthusiasts who love it will let it go away. I know there's so many guns out there that, that are already chambered for it. And that's something else you should say. Even though I'm talking about new guns, man, you go to gun broker, you go to gun shows, you go to larger gun stores to do a lot of trades and selling of used guns. A lot of this stuff, you can find all kinds of older guns in these cartridges, and most of them are not expensive. There's a lot of stuff you can find out there in the two to four hundred dollar range: twenty two Hornet, forty four Magnum, forty five Colt. These are older guns. They 
were loved by somebody. It's almost like a dog at a shelter. They were, you know, except it doesn't die, it doesn't get sick, and it doesn't get euthanized, right? Um, but it was loved by somebody, and then you know that guy passed on, and the kids just turned into guns, and you know there's just not that many people out looking for them, so they sell for, uh, I think, a really great price point. And the 4570 has that and loads, but there are some really great new guns. We're back to you know Marlin, Henry, and Winchester lever guns. That's something that. You know, that's in their wheelhouse. I don't see it ever going away. But here's some other stuff that's available. NEF Handy Rifle, which is a, was always like the, the lowest price single shot. You know, new in the box, 250 bucks retail, you know, a couple of years ago. You could still get a lot of them now. They stopped making their standard Handy Rifle in 4570, but they still make the Buffalo Classic in it. The Buffalo Classic is a 32-inch barrel. It looks like it's a sharp, except instead of being a rolling block action on the back, it's a break-open action. Beautiful walnut stock on it. It has, you know, um, old-school kind of peep sights on it with that huge, long sight radius. It was made for people that shoot long-range uh, competitions with this type of cartridge. And it's just beautiful. There would be nothing wrong with hunting with it other than it's long. Right, it's kind of heavy, but it's you know it depends on what you're doing. If you're a stand hunter, um, it, it it is as close as you can get to the type of rifles that the old West hunters used without spending well over a thousand dollars. Said there's the, the you know the rolling blocks and stuff like that. Petrosoli and, and other companies make them, but you know you're eleven hundred dollars kind of at your your base point. Uh, NEF. Um, Buffalo Classic can still be had somewhere in the between $400 and $600 range. And it is a beautiful, beautiful gun. They're a little harder to find than they used to be, but NEF still does make them. They used to actually make that same gun in a .3855, which was kind of cool, but no one bought it, and .45 Colt, which was kind of cool, but everybody that bought one was like, eh, I just might as well get the .4570 since I can load that down to Colt loading ranges and I can load it really hot up to much, much hotter ranges. Um, CVA also makes a, a, a model called the Hunter Single Shot. Henry makes a single shot. And Tradition Outfitters makes the G2 for it. All of those are great single shots. And like the, uh, the Tradition's G2 is a fabulous bargain in my opinion. It's available with a street price of around 400 bucks, cheaper than Dirt has it on their site, $410.55. Stainless steel receiver and barrel. The barrel's fluted to, to shed some of the weight on it with a muzzle brake that tames that big, beefy round in the 4570. It is very similar, but I would say it definitely is a step up in quality from the NEF single shots. Um, and it's designed kind of to have a scope mounted on the same way they do, if you're familiar with that. Um, that's with the black synthetic stock. There's some other options that are available out there. But this is one of those guns that they clearly saw two things. One, the NEF fallback in availability and said, hey, we can come into this market and we can sell into this market because there's a lot of single-shot enthusiasts out there. Two, the primitive weapons thing. Because everywhere I know of where you're able to use a single-shot rifle with a straight-wall cartridge, Manufactured before blah 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 date to hunt in primitive weapon season 4570 qualifies. With this thing, you can go out and you can shoot 
kind of the heaviest loads the 4570 is capable of if you really want to do that to yourself. And at least you get a little bit of mediation from that muzzle brake and from the weight of the weapon itself. It's kind of a beefy gun. Most single shots tend to be so. If you live in the South where we have Academy Sports and Outdoors, they're usually one of the best prices you'll find on guns. They sell this gun for $369. It makes me want to go buy one even though I definitely don't need one. Um, I say it's kind of heavy, but it really ain't. It's 5.8 pounds, so it's a little under 6 pounds. Um, that's... That's about as light as you want this thing to be. That's, I think that's why they put a muzzle brake on it so that you would tame that recoil a little bit. Because let me tell you, a 5.8-pound uh, 4570, uh, then f figure whatever you're going to put on there for a scope, you run hot loads in it. It's going to give you a pretty good beating. But again, one of the nice things is all of the off-the-shelf, like the the, uh, the 350, was it 300 grain, uh, is your, your standard 300, 300 grain jacketed hollow point um, is kind of your standard uh, 4570 round 405 grain flat point you know Remington green and yellow box stuff it's loaded to pressures that make it safe if some somebody buys rounds and puts them in like an old 1880 rifle so those in this are not going to be brutal at all they're going to be really easy to shoot but you can load up you can load down you can buy the rounds that are designed for these uh these 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 you know modern guns and with a scope on this gun there's nothing that walks in North America I wouldn't shoot about the only thing I'd really think hard about is you know grizzly bear brown bear because even if they're dead if they have a few minutes to eat you before they die you can't get a second shot off you got a problem as I have no plans to ever kill a grizzly bear or a brown bear in my life anyway There's there's nothing that I couldn't uh, couldn't go out and, and hunt with this thing in, in North America. In fact, for that matter, uh, there are most of the things in Africa, except things there tend to eat you and kill you and beat you up too. You might want a second shot as long as you get a good guide backing you up. Uh, I wouldn't hesitate to use this on just about anything. And that G2 itself, the Transition Outfitter G2, has some some pretty interesting options. Uh, in it that I want y'all to know about beyond some of the rounds we're talking about today. It's available in, in 300 Blackout. It's available in 35 Whaling. And if I wanted to buy a single shot that was kind of an all-around hunting weapon, even though we didn't talk about today, 35 Whaling, it would be something I looked at really hard. So I want to make you know about that. But what I want to talk to you about today with our final thoughts is I usually have a segment on final thoughts. I'm going to save to tie in with our song of the day. And before we uh, get to that, I'm going to tell you about our uh, item of the day and how you can support the show, of course, as always, by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com. So if you shop at tspaz.com, T-S-P-A-Z.com, no matter what you buy, you'll help support us in the work that we do. Every day I have an item for review, and I was looking to put a gun item, and then I was thinking, you know, um, I don't really have one that, that fits in kind of what we're talking about today. As I talk about Lee Loader's, Uh, getting started doing loading, but I didn't have time to do a review for you today, so we'll do that in the future. But I just will say this. If you want to get started reloading as cheap as possible, uh, the Lee Loader, not Lee Load All, Lee Loader that's designed, it fits in your shirt pocket. You use a, a hammer or a piece of wood as part of the, the toolkit there. It's the only thing it doesn't come with. You need powder, primer, uh, and, and bullets. And if you got that in cartridges, you can reload. It has everything you need otherwise. Uh, you can get into reloading for less than 30 bucks with that. And all the rounds we, we talked about today are excellent for it, so you can check that if you want to. But the item of the day I have for you today is totally unrelated to guns, other than you might use it for doing some processing. 
a Fisker 7-inch take-apart shears. I used to recommend shears by a company called Red Yeti Wear. If they ever actually bring them back, I will recommend them again. They were better than these. This is the number two. This is the best pair of take-apart kitchen shears I've found that's actually still available. Um, there's some things that I really want in a pair of shears. I want micro serrations. These have that. That means that they cut and they stay sharp really, really well for you. I want them to have power. These have that in spades. I want them to come apart, but I only want them to come apart when I want them to. I found some shears that are pretty good, but while you're using them, for some reason, the, the engineering doesn't seem that complicated, but apparently it can't be pulled off by some companies, and the damn things come apart while you're using them. That doesn't make any sense to me. These, you have to over-open them so far. Uh, the only way to get them apart is to want to get them apart. They, the reason they have to come apart is tonight I might, you know, grab my shears, grab a big bundle of basil, and chop a bunch of basil up with them into a salad. Well, tomorrow I might cut the backbone out of a chicken. Yeah. If I cut the backbone out of a chicken, those shears are going in the dishwasher, and I'm not trusting it to get inside that hinge. So I want to be able to take them apart because I don't want chicken skank on my salad greens. And I don't want chicken skank in the drawer you know, of my, of my silverware drawer either. So I have to have that take-apart capability. These things are less than 13 bucks a pair, 300-plus reviews, 4.5 stars, I own several pairs of these and not enough pairs of the Red Yeti because they don't make them anymore. So uh, those that's my item of the day for you today. Let's talk about our song of the day today. So we're talking about guns today. We're talking about old rounds and what makes them unique, what makes them special. What they still do really well is what they were designed to do. And I'm big on tradition and family and handing things down. And sometimes it escapes me how much older I've become over the years. The years slip away from us all. And I realize that, you know, when I think about grandfather, I think about my grandfathers who passed away years ago, decades ago, that I'm the old man now. And I have a chance to continue to create heirlooms. I have some old stuff. You know, I have a Browning shotgun that was my dad's, or my granddad's actually. I have a, a, a 22 that was always mine, but I've had it since I was 13 years old. But that doesn't mean that the guns that I've acquired recently or have hunted with recently or the guns that I acquire now won't be really special to the people I leave them behind to. So when I thought about it that way, I thought there could be no song today other than Granddaddy's Gun. But I've played that on the air quite a few times. Well, I found an acoustic version by Aaron Lewis, who I think, you know, there's three people known for doing this song. Red Atkins, I believe, did it the first version of it uh, on like a, uh, it was like a Mossy Oak special country artist put together. And then Blake Shelton cut this song. Blake, of course, you know, behind the voice and all, one of the biggest stars out there. But uh, Red Atkins, I didn't think did that great a job with it. It was okay. Blake Shelton's version of this song sucked. And the reason it sucked wasn't because Blake Shelton sucks, because he put nothing into it. I listened to the Blake Shelton version of this song, and I do not believe that that gun was his granddad's gun. The first version of it I ever heard was the last one cut, which was the Aaron Lewis version of it. And until I looked up the history of that song, I swore to God he wrote that song himself, and that gun was his gun, and I damn near had a tear in my eye thinking about it. Because... He sells it that strongly. And I have to believe that even though it wasn't his song originally, there is a granddad's gun somewhere in that life. Because I don't think you can fake that. 
And what I want you to think about today, some of y'all are new shooters. Or some of y'all, it was lost in your family, and you're bringing it back now. And you don't have your grandfather's gun. You don't have your great-uncle's gun. You don't even have your dad's gun. And what you have to work with is what you find, whether it be an old gun that was somebody's grandfather's gun or a brand-new gun that was made this year. It doesn't matter. You take that weapon, and it's what you do with it, and the stories you build into it, and the stories that you tell about it. And when you hand it down, that goes with it. I'll go far as, so far as to say this. Those of us that have guns like that, those of us that are currently writing memories into guns like that, I believe a lot of these anti-gun people, if they knew how we really felt about those guns, they'd back off. Not because I think they'd you know, find gun Jesus or anything like that, but I think if they knew how we felt, they would know how serious we are at defending what we have. I don't think they understand what they're messing with. I don't think they understand the tradition and the love that goes into this pursuit. And one thing I know, I can't control the world that I'm in right now while I'm alive. So I damn sure when I'm really old and I'm dribbling down my chin and I can't remember my stories anymore, I'm not going to be able to control it then. And after... I'm gone, and all that's left of me is that stone or that memorial somewhere with my name and those two dates and that dash. I sure won't control it then. But I will take this love and this devotion, and I will make damn sure that I leave it behind for my family so that it doesn't ever go away. And it's that mindset that I brought these old rounds with you today because there's something to be said for old. If it's old and it's still here, That's because it still matters. With that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.
Ain't worth a lot. 